1968, I was 12 years old. A lot happened that year. Denny McLean won 31 games, the Mod Squad hit the air, and I graduated from Hillcrest Elementary and entered junior high school. But we'll get to that. There's no pretty way to put this. I grew up in the suburbs. I guess most people think of the suburbs as a place with all the disadvantages of the city and none of the advantages of the country, and vice versa. But in a way, those really were the wonder years for us there in the suburbs. It was kind of a golden age for kids. There, that's me, Kevin Arnold, 1968. The summer before junior high school. Back to Vox Popcast. I'm Chris Maverick, and I am once again here with Wayne Wise. Hi, Wayne. Hi, Mav. We're back. Two weeks in a row? Three weeks in a row? Oh, see, I lost count. Three. This is our third week where we're both here? Yeah. It's exciting. And you ruined it last week with me trying to do the magic of radio and talk about it as though we were going to be in the future. But now, even though it's in our future, it's in our past that we were on another show tomorrow slash four days ago, depending on... Whether we are recording now or we are listening in the future. Yes, I understand. <laughs> I understand all of that. Yeah. Yeah. So you're going to be on another podcast tomorrow, our time, several days ago for the time of anybody hearing this. If you enjoy listening to us rant and you want to hear us rant with Danny Anderson, who's been on this show, we will have our going to be on uh, the sectarian review which you can download at the sectarian review podcast.com it's a great show it's sort of like this show but with way less swearing and we're going to talk about or we did talk about that's so confusing i don't understand time travel at all <laughs> we are going to talk about miracle man so social justice superheroes Sort of. Social justice, superheroes, miracle man and fascism. And it should be slash was an interesting conversation. So I hope everybody checks it out. And in the meantime, I hope everybody enjoys this show because what are we talking about this week? I don't know. You wrote the thing. So. Oh, I did. Yeah. <laughs> See, again, people need to understand that I drink during this show. So you have to, <laughs> you have to give me a little bit of leeway. Um, yes. Today we are talking about coming of age stories, coming of age movies in particular. And a lot of our shows are based on conversations we have either before or after we record this show as, hey, we should do that next week. This wasn't that. This happened at the comic book store that Wayne works at and I shop at. I had been talking for the last several months about my favorite movie of last year, Lady Bird. If you haven't seen Lady Bird, go out and see it. It doesn't matter if you've seen it for this episode. We're not really going to spoil anything, but there's not much to spoil anyway, because it's not really a movie about plot. It's a movie about relationships. And I thought this is an amazing movie. Everyone should go see this. This reminds me of when I was a 17 year old girl growing up in a Catholic school, which I was not any of those things. But I loved it. It is the story of a young girl's coming of age. And unlike other coming of age stories, it's not about falling in love or discovering your sexuality. There's a little bit of that in there. But really what it's about is 
a young girl's changing relationship with her mother as she reaches adulthood and transitions into adulthood, leaves for college, those sorts of things. And I thought, this is amazing. This is touching. It was my favorite film of the year. And I told everyone to go see it. And Wayne, you finally saw it. Yeah, I, I didn't go see it. I, I kept meaning to, but I'm really terrible at getting out to, to see actual movies that don't have superheroes in them. Um, <laughs> but uh, it popped up on Amazon Prime a couple of weeks ago, and I watched it pretty much immediately when I got the notification it was up. And I concur with pretty much everything Matt just said. I thought it was wonderful. Uh, the performances, the story just, yeah, touched me. Uh, I was also not a 17 year old Catholic girl, but I was able to relate to the story. Yeah, it was. Interesting to me that it spoke to me so much. And I started thinking about my favorite movie from 2016 was a movie that nobody saw called Edge of 17, which I loved. And I once again told everybody to go see it. But unlike Lady Bird, which won some awards, since nobody had heard of Edge of 17, nobody else went and saw it. I, I, heard, it's, I heard of Edge of 17 because my, my one of my favorite current bands, the Struts, yeah. did a cover of the Sweet Ballroom Blitz that was on the soundtrack. Yeah, so, the music, so, the music so in that one is the, great. came to it through the back door. Did you music. see it? I did, yeah. I liked it a lot. Yeah. And I thought, well, in a lot of ways, these are the same movie. The girl is different, but it's again, it's a story about growing up and your changing relationship with your parents. And I realized I really, really have a thing for these movies that sort of are auspiciously for teenagers about growing up. And when I got to talking at the store about how do they still make coming of age movies? Because it seems to be a lost art. And I thought, well, they do, because I still go see a lot of them. I mean, those are the two that people had heard of. But another one that I that came out last year that I loved was called Good Kids. Nobody saw it. It's great. No, I didn't see it. Yeah, that was more of a comedy. And that one is actually targeted at teenagers, I think, whereas Lady Bird and, and Edge of 17 really isn't a movie for teenagers. Teenagers would probably find it boring. I think people our age are supposed to watch it and sort of remember that time. But when when I was growing up, when I was a teenager, all movies targeted at teenagers were just about teenagers being teenagers. John Hughes made his entire career out of making, you know, one of my favorite movies ever, The Breakfast Club. It's just mm -hmm. it's a movie about five teenagers sitting in a room being teenagers for the entire movie. There's barely a plot beyond that. Ferris Bueller's Day Off. At least he has something to do, but it's really just about the life of a teenager. And that was movies in the 80s and 90s. Even American Pie, they, you know, they're on a virginity quest. They're trying to lose their virginity by the end of the summer. But really, it's still just a movie about being teenagers and hanging out with your buddies. And, you know, teenage movies today tend to have some other plot. There are a lot of there are a lot of teen movies like the Hunger Games movies, the Divergent series. There are all these movies that have some sort of plot, but they're not really just about being teenagers They're about teenagers doing something. So we thought, well, why is that? And I have some theories on it, which we'll discuss. But we wanted to talk about it. And, and we thought, well, if we're going to talk about why Gen Xers like ourselves like these movies about 17 year olds and 18 year olds. Let's go get some others to talk about this with. So I'd like to welcome back for the second time, Nicole Freem, who's now on the show again. Hi, Nicole. Hey, Chris. <laughs> hey, Nicole. I would also like to welcome Matt Usia, who 
is a I guess he I, I guess you're a professor at Duquesne. Yeah, that's that's fair. <laughs> Duquesne University, <laughs> where I'm where I'm working on my PhD. Matt works does with Duquesne, me. Does, yes, we are members of the does, same does department. Du, colleagues. Does Duquesne know you you teach there? Because you sound unsure of that. <laughs> okay. I'm teaching this summer, and I don't know if you're teaching right now. No, I'm not teaching right now. Right. So I, technically, we don't work together right now. <laughs> But we are in the same department. We have desks on the same okay. floor. Yes. It's very confusing. But we, we are at the, at the same university. And Matt is just fun to talk to. He's into a lot of the same things that I am. Yeah. So I asked him if he'd be interested in doing the show. So hi, Matt. Hi. <laughs> and I will say, I do have a laboratory. I teach a coming-of-age of literature, or a lot of my kind of literature gen ed, or gen ed courses have a coming-of-age okay. theme. Wow. So I have wow. this laboratory. I, I know what the millennials think. You're a much think. better guest than we thought. <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on. The entire concept of the show is talking about things with smart people who are not really interested in sounding smart. <laughs> well, we're doing a great job so far. Yeah, awesome. yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I'm, you know, this is like, you know, when we came up with the show, with the show concept, we're like, oh, we can say smart stuff, but in a dumb way. Wayne, we're perfect for this. Yeah. <laughs> so I had a lot of theories about that. And I listed a whole bunch of stuff when I was writing the blog for this. And again, if you're not following our blog, www.boxpopcast.com, you should be because that's where we talk about the topics before the show. And I was just sort of listing some of my favorite movies and TV shows. I already said the John Hughes movies. I loved American Pie. And my favorite, one of my absolute favorite television shows growing up was The Wonder Years. I was a huge fan of The Wonder Years. To this day, I remain in love with Winnie Cooper. I know she's a fictional character. <laughs> fuck you. But she is awesome. She is perfect. She is the perfect girl. And by the way, she's age appropriate for me because I was the same age as they were when the show was coming up. So in co coming on. So I imagine that she's still... You know, my age now, which Dana McKellar is, of course, then it's a problem because they took place in my past. So she should be 30 years older than I am. And time travel confuses me, as I said at the beginning of the show. So <laughs> so forget about all that. But show that I loved and the entire concept of that show was here's what life is to be a teenager. Happy days. Here's what life is to be a teenager. What's interesting to me is there is a whole category of literature called the Bildungsroman, which is the coming of age story in literature. And they were always some of my favorite books growing up. Great Expectations. On the road, there are lots of these books that are just sort of the life of usually a man, not always, but the life of a young hero, usually very ordinary as he transitions into adulthood. No, one of my, my favorite authors from the early part of the 20th century, Herman Hesse, um, his books, Demian, Narcissus and Goldman, uh, most of his earliest work, he, he's an author. I've pretty much read everything he ever wrote. And the first half of his career, pretty much every book was that. It's the young person you know, mm -hmm. growing up, coming to, to terms with his world. One of his most famous books is Steppenwolf, which is about a 50-something-year-old man dealing with the fact that he's now getting old. So it's a much later coming-of-age book. <laughs> it's coming of middle age. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, that, mm -hmm. that, was, that was very much a part of that time and, and those books. Um, and others, others I mentioned were This Side of Paradise, which was written by F. Scott Fitzgerald and mm -hmm. is very much Fitzgerald's attempt at writing one of those. Uh, Portrait of the Artist as a Young Man, Pride and Prejudice by Jane Austen, which 
is a novel of manners, but also is very much a coming of age story, but focusing on a female character and a, written by a female author. Huckleberry Finn, I'd say in a way. And then I mentioned a couple of more modern books that, that I love. The Virgin Suicides by... Jeffrey Eugenides. Yes. And Girl by Blake Nelson. And I don't know that anybody's yeah. read Girl. I just, it's I just read uh, a book um, called The Buddha of Suburbia by Hanif Qureshi, and I probably just butchered his name. And uh, yeah, okay. no, no, that's it. You got no, it. No, uh, I, I thought that was marvelous, and it, it's, it is also a coming of age. But I, I don't think any of those books were really targeted at teenagers. No. Girl is, I think, the most recent girl, either Girl or Virgin Suicides, of all those that I mentioned. One, they're both relatively recent. I think Girl came out after Virgin Suicides. I think, and another one's Middlesex, which is also Eugenitis, but at least, but that has other things going on. But still, basically that kind of story. But you're supposed to read those as adults. These are all thinky books. Portrait of the Artist as a Young Man by Joyce. You could read it as a teenager, but there's a lot going on there. It just reminds me of, I was supposed to read Catcher in the Rye in high school and I hated it. I couldn't get through it. And, you know, 10 years later, I was studying for a master's exam. I picked it up and I read it in an afternoon. And Mm -hmm. I thought, oh, I get a whole lot different from it now. I, I get it now. So I mean, maybe you have to be, you just get different things at different times. I, it's funny because mm-hmm. that's another one of those, those classic books that I didn't read back in high school. I was in my early 40s before I picked that up to, to read it. And maybe it's because of where I was at the time. It didn't speak to me at all. Like I get why. I have three degrees I, in English. I, I've I never read it. it. I get why it does speak to people, <laughs> but it just, it really left me fairly cold. <laughs> but, I think for me, uh, you know, because I pretty much jam coming of age stories down students. Now. It's on the <laughs> syllabus. You must read, it, you know, kind of that. And, uh, you know, the thing that I found and, I, and this actually happened to me in the fall big time is, you know, introspection <laughs> yeah. hurts. Mm-hmm. I think that's part of it. And I think part of it also is and maybe it's just my personality in the books that I choose. But a lot of times, you know, this, the characters make mistakes. Mm-hmm. And I think for a lot of young people now, or at least, you know, my the young people I teach, I think mistakes speak to their anxieties in ways that are profoundly uncomfortable. I think I particularly broke them. There's this beautiful, beautiful novel called Tender by Belinda McKeon, an Irish, uh, Irish American author. And it's about uh, the it's about a disastrous sophomore year. You know, the first scene of the novel happens during finals week her freshman year. And it's about this failed romance. And I'm trying not to spoil it, but I mean, the whole book is kind of a wily e. Coyote cartoon. You, you, she loves the wrong person mm-hmm. and you know what's going to happen. And she goes off the cliff and then eventually she does look down and, <laughs> mm-hmm. and you know, and you just see it coming all the way. And it's so bad that she actually transfers out of the university. Like she, she actually leaves the country. Wow. Oh, wow. It's so disastrous, this romance. And Students just could not handle that in a semester where it was a bunch of young people struggling to fit into the world. That was the one that absolutely broke them. They just borderline revolted. Yeah, And see, and that's what I find interesting. That's why I sort of titled this episode about, you know, let's talk about the difference between the coming of age story as targeted towards millennials versus as targeted, targeted towards Gen Xers. And in general, just for people who understand, I'm not super high on age category based subcultures because i think that they're i think it's a lot more nuanced than that but we're going to go with the simplification for this episode because i think there's a very distinct shift in the way we made these films Mm -hmm. between 
for me, the cutoff is Mean Girls. Mean Girls is very much a movie about being a teenager. Nothing else matters. She yeah. says in the very beginning, high school girls are the, are horrible. This is the life that I had to deal with. And that's the entire movie. And that's, you know, that was relatively late in the game, but it is very much of the mold of the John Hughes movie, the Amy Heckerling movie, Fast Times at Ridgemont High. These are movies that I loved as a teen. Being a little bit older than you, the, the movies that, the, the coming of age movies that I was exposed to earliest were you know, Animal House and Porky's, which is, which, yeah, those two. <laughs> which is a whole different type of thing. Uh, yeah. I, I had a mother who let me do watch whatever I wanted. So I've also loved Animal House and Porky's and Re yeah. Revenge of the Nerds, which is the most problematic movie in the world yeah. for reasons that if you've seen it, you'll understand why. But at the time, it, it very much seemed very much a this is the story of growing up as a teenager yeah. include us is essentially emma which is a coming of age story anyway and it very much is that but then now we have another style of movie that i love but we have our hunger games movies we have our harry potter movies divergent on the blog i mentioned the entire lineup of shows on the cw and on freeform are sexy teenagers doing other things but it's not just like when I was a kid, we had 90210, which was just about I wasn't a kid. I was in college. But 90210 was a story about high school students and later college students just being high school students and college students. In 2014, you had Pretty Little Liars, which seems on the surface like it's just another 90210 or, or Merrill's Place. But really, it's a murder mystery. Like everything, there's got to be something so, else for the millennial show. It's very much so, dealing with other a, a problems. A couple of thoughts, you know, going back to what Matt said about th these books breaking his, his students. And I think that's probably true all the way back. It's not just millennials. I think you know, when you're 20, it's hard to admit you make mistakes. So reading books about making mistakes who are your age is, is difficult. Is it possible the, the coming of age stories are written and enjoyed mostly by older people who've had that experience? Because when you're actually coming of age, you don't realize that's what you're doing. You're just you're you're unable to have those insights. It's when when we witness this stuff, when we read this stuff, or watch this stuff, we are recognizing some aspect of our life in it. Whereas if you haven't gone through that stuff yet, you you're not relating to it in the same way. You you if you haven't had those insights or those experiences, it's tough for you to appreciate it. And so so that's one thought. And the second thought, what you just said, Mav, with the Hunger Games and that sort of thing, you know, that's all, you know, they are fighting against you know, evil, whatever. Is it possible that that's the form coming of age movies are taking in 2018? Because a lot of teenagers aren't able to just be teenagers in our society. They're getting shot in schools. They're, you know, all the stuff that's going on, they, they're just not able to just be a teen. Possible. I think that's true. And I think, does is it for me, there's two things. One, it's, a, it's the podcast of two things. We're just going to add two things and then we'll run out of time. Uh, so for me, the two things is, you know, one is this question, does, you know, oh, it's in a dystopia, there's a fantasy element. Does that add a layer yes. of safety? Yeah, I, I think there's some truth to yes, that. You know, yes. And I guess the other thing for me is, because I live in this weird cinematic world that I've made for myself, you know, I don't see blockbusters. Uh, one of the things, the most important cinematic experience I have in a year is I go to the Cleveland International Film Festival and see 10 to 18 movies in a weekend. That no one's heard of. That no one's heard of. <laughs> and a lot of them never get U.S. distribution. Right. My favorite film of all time I saw there 
And then for four years, I searched and finally found a region-free Blu-ray from an wow. eBay seller in Taiwan. And I can have, you know, I can show I can show my favorite movie. Everywhere else in the world is making the kind of movies, Mav, you're talking about. Mm -hmm. You know, Australia, South America, yes. Asia, Europe, they're all doing those films. Mm -hmm. It's, I think, also something about, like, maybe the American zeitgeist. Mm -hmm. And I know when I encounter, or when I force students to encounter mundane people or normal people in mundane situations struggling through life. One of the things I frequently get from my students is just, they've never encountered a text like this before, mm -hmm. you know, and it's also maybe a question of what our culture industry sells and or what's marketable. So we're still making those movies too, though. It's just that no one watches them except yeah. for me. One of the ones I mentioned was now is good was starring Dakota Fanning and it, came out in 2012. It is a coming of age story that's interrupted. Here's the pitch. 17 year old girl trying to beat cancer for five years and she turns 18. And so she, so her parents can't stop her anymore. And she decides I'm too weak from the chemo. So instead I'm asking the doctor to take me off the treatment so that I get better. And I'm going to live life to the fullest until I die for the next six months. Wow. So it is a story about her and she's got she's got a um, her, her best friend and she meets a boyfriend, the love of her life. And she's just trying to cram all the life that she can into six months. And spoiler, at the end, she dies. But the movie is about learning to come to terms yeah. with your mortality. It, it is a hard movie. It has a 58 percent on, on Rotten Tomatoes right now with an average rating of five point two. Wow. That's not great. People did not like it because it is not fun. I mean, it is a difficult movie and it is dark. And Dakota Fanning is amazing in it. The, the, the premise is dark and horrible. And you believe everything that happens in it. I, I thought this is great. And it's a movie that I cannot actually recommend anybody see because there's no redeeming quality of it other than this is a movie about the human condition. But I say that about a lot of novels, so all the ones that I mentioned. I, like I, I said, I've never actually read Catcher in the Rye, but I know what it's about. And Caulfield's a horrible person. That was one of the biggest problems I, I yeah. had with him is like, he's really, really unlikable. And you know, people have pointed out things like he's in mourning in many ways. You know, he, he's not at his best in this in this book. I still had a tough time forgiving him for just being a complete jerk. And On the Road, one of my favorite books. They're all <laughs> horrible people. Yeah. I don't know that I recognized that mm -hmm. when I was 16. Mm -hmm. And this is what I was saying, sort of a difference between generations, I think. So if you haven't seen Revenge of the Nerds, the reason people say it's problematic today is Revenge of the Nerds right out just has a rape in it. Yeah. By yeah. the good guys and you cheer it. There's a point where the protagonist tricks the head cheerleader who hates him into having sex because she thinks she's having sex with somebody else. And it's the highlight of the movie. And then she falls in love with him because, oh, I guess nerds really are good at sex. And then they get married in the next movie. And that and that and this was supposed to be good. And now, like, you sort of watch it as an adult and you're like, oh, my God, how did no one stop to say, wait a minute, this is a horrible like they never call it rape. It, it's it, 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 and when you think about it, every every fairy tale that right. has a love potion in it is problematic. So there, so there are a lot of things that are that are sort of a problem with it. And my theory is we had these, you know, teenagers didn't really exist 
up until like the you know after World War II. It's like a it's a very modern invention. It's like a fifties kind of thing. So when when teenagers exist as a separate demographic than children, there were children and then there were adults. And then after the war, people had like sort of disposable income and there was television and there were just things, hey, we can just market to these people who aren't quite kids. And so we invented teenagers and the initial marketing was very much old people trying to sell things that they thought teenagers might like. So you ended up with beach blanket bingo type movies. And then we sort of transitioned into people making things like the Halloween, the slasher films. Those are teen movies. Halloween, I think, is a coming of age story, but it's disguised in the same way that the Hungry Games movies are disguised. There's a thriller about Michael Myers. And then we move from that into movies like the ones we've been talking about, Better Off Dead, Breakfast Club, everything John Hughes did, everything John Cusack was ever in when he was a kid, all the way through American Pie, which are just these teen movies. And then at Mean Girls, it sort of stops and it goes back to being things about something else, about teens dealing with other problems. So I'm wondering if just as a concept, as a conceptual group, Gen X was just so self-absorbed that we liked movies about reflecting on ourselves as teenagers. And then we never grew up we never figured it out, so we're still watching them today. I think that some of it, I think there's also, uh, my Gen X angst is, of course, if we're going to talk generationally, you got to think about, like, what else do you have to push against baby boomer narcissism? Okay. You know, I, I think that's a big thing for me, because I remember, you know, growing up in the 80s and 90s, and like, The Doors, man, that's the most important band ever, <laughs> and, you know... MTV was very good about this in terms of music, in terms of selling this youth culture moment is the best youth culture moment until the next youth culture moment happens, right? <laughs> Hair metal, you're a part of something. And then suddenly it was grunge and all of that. I, I think for me, some of that was also just how do we steal ourselves against this old people crap from the 60s? Okay. And I, and I admit, I still live in that moment where I will get <laughs> foamingly angry. One of our mutual former colleagues, Matt, the first time I met him, my office mate, you know, first time we really hung out, I got in a not quite screaming match at a department party about the doors. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? And it was for me, it was like, build the firewall, keep everything Woodstock era out, you know? And that's just who I am. And, but I think that's part of Gen X youth culture as well. I mean, you even look at like Douglas Copeland's Generation X, which is, you know, the novel that named from. us. Yes. Yeah. And I mean, one of the synopsis was look out boomer scum, mm -hmm. you know, and one of the guys quits his jobs and says, listen, you were just, you know, born at the right time and you couldn't survive today. I think that's part of it, too, is that we needed that wall to, you know, I have students now or and then maybe Mav, you experienced this, too, where they do kind of experience everything at once. And if they like classic rock and they like new, new, you know, rap music and it all blends in this pastiche where I think our generation also we had a real we were one of the last generations we are maybe the last generations that had a sense of eras mm -hmm. and a sense of this is what's happening right now and everything else you know, sucks, you know, <laughs> I think that's a different, that's also a different ball game. I think so. I mean, the, the films that you're talking about saying now we have some that are more serious. Um, we, we had them, we had them in the eighties. They just, there weren't as many, I mean, there aren't that many now, but I mean, if you look at some of the other sort of coming of age stories, I'm thinking of things like, like stand by mm -hmm. me or mermaids or, um, all the right moves. Uh, uh, 
Uh, I would say yeah. Little, Little Darlings well, is one of my favorites. So, speaking of movies that would right. never get made. Or my, my Bodyguard. Right? Yeah. The, the, these are, those were more serious, right? I mean, mm-hmm. we go, go further back and go to Love mm-hmm. Story, right? That was seven, I think. But we, we had those, but they were just sort of outliers. I mean, the, the raunchy teen comedy thing, um, I mean, I think we still have that to an extent now. It's just, I don't know. I mean, things like Lady Bird, I mean, if, they, if Lady Bird had been made in the 80s, would people have watched it then? Or would they have been like, no, let's go see Re- Revenge of the right. Nerds 3? <laughs> you know, <laughs> why does that even exist? Lord only knows, but uh, of course I saw Re- Revenge of the Nerds three because it was a movie, and if if a movie happens, yes. I have to watch it. So I've yeah. also seen it, yeah, so. several times, and I, there's like two made for TV follow ups. The, the franchise gets awful, <laughs> and I've watched every get single it. one of them. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm going to put quotes around the phrase mm-hmm. "gets awful." Don't get me started on Lake Placid franchise. I've seen all of those. <laughs> no, no. If, if, if you've not seen the other ones, compared to Revenge of the Nerds, Revenge of the Nerds 1 really deserved Oscars. I mean, it, it gets real bad. It gets... Same with the Lake yeah. Placid series. <laughs> yes, we had slapsticky ones. And I'm looking back, I was just looking at a paper that I that I wrote years ago. But I think one of the beginnings of what I call the Virginity Quest movie, Love Hines, Andy Hardy, 1938 super problematic movie today it is Andy Hardy played by Mickey Rooney and his friend Betsy played by Judy Garland and it is one of several romantic pairing style movies that they made for Garland and Rooney back in the day at that point Garland is I believe when she films it she's actually 15 or 16 her character is like 13 12 or 13 his character is 16 or 17 and the plot of the movie is that Andy is very confused because he likes two girls neither of which is Betsy and he can't decide who he wants to take to the prom they never say that he's looking to get laid What he's looking to do is kiss and make out with a girl in a backless evening gown with no sleeves where you can see everything. He says it over and over again. There's lots of 1938 safe makeout sessions between Mickey Rooney and these other girls. The girl next door is obviously very in love with him. And so she decides to help him get laid. That's the movie. It's a lot of Betsy played by Judy Garland trying to help Andy Rooney pick up chicks, knowing that he doesn't recognize that she is in love with him. He ultimately loses both girls. So she decides to go to the dance with him where he discovers that she is an absolute knockout. Again, she's 13. The character is. (laughs) So he decides he likes her. They dance together and they never kiss, but it's a magical evening. And she admits without admitting that she falls in love with him. She's fallen in love with him, but she's too young. So she helps him get the first girlfriend back. And then it's three or four movies later when he finally realizes that he's in love with her and they actually get to kiss. There are so many problems with it. If you watch it today, that's 1938. Then you get a bunch of teen movies like we were talking about before. You get your Gidgets and you get your Where the Boys Are. These are movies for teenagers 
by adult sort of beach blanket bingo. This is what you young people like, you know, <laughs> and that kind of thing. And then where I think the Gen Xer thing really starts and, it, you know, there's a, it's slow because there's Halloween and stuff. But I think 1969, a movie called Last Summer. Uh, Matt is shaking his head. You might have seen it. I think uh, I have. Nicole and Wayne, have you so, seen no. Last Summer? Okay. Last yeah. Summer is a story. It stars Barbara Hershey, Richard Thomas, and Bruce Davidson, and, and, and Catherine Burns. It is the story of one girl and two boys who sort of meet while they're Parents are summering on some island, so they're they're just they're the only teenagers around. So they hang out a lot together. Both boys fall in love with her because she she is cute, but she's also the only girl around, and she likes to take her top off in front of them because she knows that it affects them. Really, that's the only reason we women take our cups off. Seriously, yeah. <laughs> At one point, they kill a seagull. They they have this. They have a seagull that they are, that has a broken wing that they sort of are tending to, and they're taking care of it. And then, for reasons, they just killed the seagull, which is sad and crappy and weird, and just sort of establishes that they're actually kind of horrible people. And um, Barbara Hershey finds the scene so emotional that in real life, she started referring to herself as Barbara Hershey Seagull for several years after it that's why she changed her name um so if you look at films after this nobody's seen last summer but she is credited in many of her 70s and 80s films as barbara hershey seagull because she found this this role so meaningful but they they kill this seagull and then they're you know she's sort of dating both boys until this other nerdy girl comes around and it's also hanging out with them. She hates the nerdy girl, but one of the boys develops a liking t- towards her. So the four of them kind of hang out together. The nerdy girl is she's nerdy and she's frumpy and everything that Barbara Hershey is not. So they try to give her a makeover. They get her a they, they get her a t- her first two piece bathing suit and then they teach her to drink. And then out of, let's say, boredom, Barbara Hershey suddenly commands both of the boys to beat and rape the girl and then the movie ends really thinking movies <laughs> again not really made for teenagers but then you transition into all the ones that you know that are uh, little darlings we mentioned but also fast times at ridgemont high which has you know again there's rape and, and fast times but it very much is focused on something that I mean, I watched it in the 80s when I was of the age, moving all the way through Clueless, moving all the way through American Pie. Into the 2000s, you have the Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants movies. Uh, and and I think all the way through Mean Girls, you have these movies that really are teens are supposed to watch them and think about them for themselves. But I think they are thinking movies. Like if you look at Little Darlings. Yeah. Girl, 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 girls in summer camp trying to lose their virginity. They, they have a bet to see who will lose their virginity first. Right. And... Fast Times at Ridgemont High. A lot of these are a lot of these movies are about sex uh, and losing your virginity, but they're very much, hey, we're teenagers just living this experience. And this is how hard it is to sort of live in our world. And I, I think Matt made the comment that, you know, it's sort of a a a a a, a strike back at at the baby boomers. of Hey, you you don't get it, man. This is this is our life now. And I think there's something to that. I don't know that the world's all that different in 1980 to what it was in 1960. I mean, sure, there are differences, but I don't know that certainly there were kids dealing with 
hey, should we do drugs or not? Hey, should we have sex or not? In 1960, yeah, I, just like I, I there were in 1980. Is, is but very similar for for most generations. I, the the culture around it is different. I mean, we have movies and books. You know, the Outsiders. It's set in the 1950s and, and yes, dealing yes. with those issues. And set you know, finding identity and, and fitting well, in and, and sex, you know, all the stuff. It seems like one of the things we've been dancing around is also maybe thinking about how, though, how eras are different. If you're talking about like Revenge of the mm-hmm. Nerds is problematic today, you mm-hmm. know, watching it. With you. I don't know. I mean, I think 60 to 80, because, you know, you, you're talking about that. You, makes me think, though, they're a little older. Like, what do you yeah. do with Saturday yeah. Night Fever? Oh, yeah. God. <laughs> you know what I mean? Which has a rape in it, which has, you know, there's these people in the 20s. But you think Saturday Night Fever Watching it now, I mean, that's a movie about mm-hmm. stagflation. That is, as a friend of mine from grad school who actually got to hang out at Studio 54 because she had a famous husband, you know, Saigon fell and the disco ball fell oh, out of the sky God. and the gates of hell opened. Mm-hmm. And that was her description of that era. One of my old undergrad professors used to run lights there. <laughs> mm. But but yeah, I mean, I think there is a different, you know, maybe you think post-Nixon, post-Watergate, post-Vietnam there is maybe a little like lack of na- of national uh, confidence. There's maybe a cynicism that you might not have in 1960. You might have like moral panic in 1960 in a way that you have just sort of a deep seated cynicism into the eighties. That's kind of different, which again, makes me think about what young people are dealing with today where, you know, I think at least the young people I teach, there is this kind of unspoken understanding until they make them speak it that they almost feel like they got to the party late, <laughs> you know, like, Oh, I was born. And then the world fell apart. <laughs> They're not wrong. You know? I mean, Matt and I teach at the same school and Nicole, I wonder, so have you taught any, any of these books or films that where it would be an issue? You know, our school is relatively conservative. It's a That's Catholic changing. school. It, it's changing, but it, it's a Catholic school. The kids are relatively religious. And so I expect a certain exact level of similar life experience. And they're certainly not naive, but they're but they're all at a relatively sheltered sheltered place compared to where I was when I went to college. You're not at that, Nicole. No. Well, I'll say that I mean the place where I am now, it's a it's a small town in, in Oregon, rural, it's um uh conservative area, kind of I don't want to exactly say sheltered because I don't know if any place is sheltered these days with the internet. Um, But I'll say that I taught, I taught TC Boyle's greasy Lake. I don't know that. If any of you know that it's it's just a short story. And um, uh, it's these three guys who, you know, are want to be tough guys and they're heading up to the local lake to, you know, uh, get high basically in, in the evening. And, um, it's, uh, they pull up and they see, they see this car. They think it's this guy they know. And so they, they jump out of their car and kind of go bang on the bang on the windows, but it's not the guy they know. It's, it's someone else who then wants to beat their asses and then they beat him up. And then his girlfriend, cause he was there having sex with his girlfriend kind of attacks them and they, they pin her down on the car and they, they are sort of about to rape her. And somebody else pulls up to the lake and it's, you know, the guy that they just beat up like his friends. And they start going after the our three protagonists who then scatter and are trying to hide. And and it's it's kind of a creepy story. They did make a TV movie of it, I think, in the 80s. <laughs> yeah, 
it's about like it sounds. Um, but my, my students, they were all, they were, they were really uncomfortable with, with the story in general and sort of how could this, how could this happen? How could they, how could they do mm-hmm. that? Um, but I, I don't know if it's, if it's really something that just the story is creepy or, uh, or if it has to do with sort of the conservative nature in the area that made them uncomfortable. Um, I also made them read uh, brave new world and they were pretty uncomfortable with that. And considering that in that, you know, children are having sex. And- well, you know, I think that's interesting what you're saying because I, I find, I do find a similar experience because I think for them, I, I think also young people have this sense that they have a very thin margin of error. You know, I mean, they grow up, you know, no tolerance disciplinary policies in schools. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, they all know that they are trying to outlearn neoliberalism, you know, <laughs> right. It's not just that I'm going to go out and into the world and do something and be all right. I better get these really good grades because there's, you know, three jobs available for me and <laughs> I'm going to go. And I think that's a, a lot of emotional baggage that they work under. Mm-hmm. And there is a profound fear of failure. The ongoing testing in every high school. You just Everything is a, a test. Yeah. yeah. High stakes testing. So yeah, the fact that these people make, and again, going back to, you know, our discussion of tender, you know, they couldn't understand how this character loves the wrong person. You know, there's this setup where there's this other perfectly nice, serviceable guy that obviously has a crush on the protagonist. And they're like, well, why doesn't she just go with him? You know, why does she have to love this other person? As if you have control over that sometimes, over who you're attracted to, you know? And that's the, the sticky nature of And they couldn't get that. But I think some of that also is it, you know, how could you fuck up in life? And, you know, and that, that then the people making wrong choices is profoundly disturbing because if you make a wrong choice, <laughs> don't you just disappear into the world? You know, well, but I mean, we have, we have that issue too. I mean, our generation has master of the coming of age story, John Hughes, John Hughes makes pretty in pink, mm-hmm. pretty in pink, Molly Ringwald deciding between two boys, the cool boy and the nerdy boy. And who she picked? But that's not really fair she, because she was never in love with Ducky. I know, I know, I know, but I, I know, but I'm getting to that. <laughs> How could she not be? <laughs> I agree with that. She was not in love with with Ducky, and that's the problem because what ends up happening is after that movie, because everyone complained, they go back and they make some kind of wonderful, which is the exact same fucking movie. <laughs> I love some kind of wonderful, but it's exactly pretty in pink with the gender swapped and you choose the less cool girl instead of boy. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's the, oh, no, 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 no. I, I, I was very upset with you for calling her less cool. I'm sorry. No, I don't think she's less cool in that way. In that I, I mean. No, I know what you mean. The Prince Charming character doesn't get picked. That's the entire point. Right. The outcast gets picked instead of the Prince Charming character. They're effectively the same story. And I believe Hughes has even said that some kind of wonderful only exists because of the backlash that he got from Pretty in Pink for her choosing wrong. So, But did he choose wrong? I don't think so. <laughs> I like both movies, though. So, so, But again, it's always very tricky. And I mean, everyone 
on this show today has taught literature. That's what we do. We're nerds. There's sort of a question of what are we reading this for? Why are we watching this movie? I, you know, I mentioned a couple of movies that I love that are super depressing. I mean, now is good. Even the title refers to when is she going to die? Now, that's what it's about. What was the, the one that was filmed here in Pittsburgh with uh, Hermione? Was it Perks of Being a Wallflower? Yes, yes. Yeah, the, the, the yes, title was yes, just gone. Yes, yes wonderful movie, Perks of Being a Wallflower. Perks of Being a Wallflower, I think, actually did okay. Not great. It, yeah, it did, not, definitely not great. It did okay compared to like some of the things that we're, that we're mentioning. But these movies, all of the all the buildings Roman is not about sort of of making you feel good. That's not necessarily yeah. the point of it. You know, I, I I've been toying around trying to figure out how we might do a show on the current series Thirteen Reasons Why. It's a story about teenage rape and suicide. <laughs> the show isn't entertainment in the classic sense. I don't want to laugh when I'm watching that show and I'm not looking for a didactic after school special, which oh, we had tons of when, when we were kids where, where, where it's sort of, here's why this is bad kids be a good person. And that goes all the way back to like, you know, I don't want reefer madness. I, I want, I, I want a story which sort of makes me look at, Oh my God, these are the worst human beings let me think about what it means to be a be a horrible human being. Uh, Joyce is that with Portrait of the Artist as a Young Man. Uh, Faulkner is that with everything he wrote. Faulkner's never written a good character ever. Uh, everyone sucks. Hemingway's characters suck. Gatsby is about one of my favorite books of all time. Great Gatsby. Those people are atrocious. Everyone in that book is horrible except for Jordan. And Jordan's kind of bitchy. But she at least realizes that all, all of her friends are horrible and tells them so. And, and, and I, I find that to be interesting to sort of, you know, delve into uh, on the road. Mm -hmm. Absolutely horrible people. Sal's not awful, except for he's wishy-washy and just goes along with all these awful people. But like <laughs> Dean is uh, evil. <laughs> it's, it's frankly evil. <laughs> and, and that's what those that's what those books are. And to me, there's something sort of interesting at sort of what do I see in the darkness of myself by watching oh. these other people come to terms with their horribleness? Well, you know, so here's the thing. And this is going to well, I'm a horrible human being and this is going to come off terribly elitist. But one of my theories by which I understand the world is my Miller Lite theory of the world. OK, Miller Lite is the beer that you drink if you don't really like beer. <laughs> right. How many people love Miller Lite? And I think there is culture for people. I, I used to work in a bookstore. OK, for briefly for a semester, I took off grad school. I worked in a discount bookstore in Monroeville and people and we had on tables in the old Kids R Us Monroeville, maybe 300,000 titles. And I would, you know, be doing my thing, running the register and people would walk in the door and say, excuse me, do you have the Da Vinci Code? Oh, sorry, no, we do overstocks. And like they were on a lazy Susan, they would pirouette and go right out the door. You know, don't forget, forget that there's 300,000 other books <laughs> in where you are. And I was like, oh, that's a book for people who don't actually like books. And if you read books, you hate The Da Vinci Code. It's a horrible book. If you've only read that book, it's great. But <laughs> that's a Miller Lite book. And I think there's Miller Lite music and I think there's Miller Lite film and I think there's Miller Lite books. And and most people, they sell a lot of Miller Lite still. 
It's not beer. It's not beer for people who like beer and beer flavored things. And, and this is why Matt is on this show. Yes. And so thank you. And so that's the problem is, you know, you like books. Most people don't like. I mean, I'm sorry, that's horribly elitist. But, you know, it's almost sort of like that, that Mark Hamill thing that he tweeted in response to, you know, toxic fandom last episode was, you know, great. You think a movie sucks by looking at a poster. Granted, 80 movie, 80 percent of movies suck because they're made for five year olds who've seen two movies, <laughs> you know, and I think there's, you know, I think there's that, too. There is that dynamic. You made a podcast about pop culture, you know, like Miller Lite pop culture is maybe not going to do it for you or you'll enjoy it with a caveat. Because <laughs> you know, right, it's, it's hot out, you know, but. <laughs> But no one's going to take that beer seriously. It is nerd you culture. Really need to get into their marketing department. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but I mean, but that's the thing about nerd culture, geek culture. People who give a crap about things are going to want those different kinds of experiences. <laughs> and now a word from our sponsor, Miller Lite. <laughs> oh God, probably I wish we had. I wish we had a sponsor. <laughs> Well, Miller Lite is not going to be one of them now. Sorry. I think the other thing, too, though, with with the idea, like the Da Vinci Code, right? You're right. It's a terrible book. The puzzles are all obvious. It's badly written. Most of it was ripped off from Holy Blood, Holy Grail, but whatever. Um, part of the reason that I think the book, be, when the, as the book becomes popular, is that it gives people something to talk about to other people that is a safe topic. Like when I'm on a plane, you know, the plane and I see a guy who looks like he's about 65 and he's carrying breaking dawn. Okay. And this was, this was, you know, like five, 10 years ago. And I'm thinking either, you know, is he reading this so that he can actually talk to his, you know, granddaughter or something that, that these Miller light things, it's not just that it's easily digestible, but that it's, it's something that they can talk to other people about. I mean, when these movies are so popular, I mean, movies become blockbusters, not because they're good. I mean, you know, Transformers <laughs> proves that, but um, it's, it, it gives people something to talk to other people about. And I, I don't know, maybe that's part mm -hmm. of it that, and you're right. If you're if you experience a lot of these things, you're more discerning. And but you can you can see. All right. I can understand why they think, you know, why why they're jumping on the bandwagon. Maybe they don't actually like it. Maybe they don't actually think it's good. Like you said, people drink Miller Lite not because they like it. Right. But because, well, it gives them something to order when and, they're at the bar. You know, the marketing of blockbusters, too, is so much about people's esteem needs. The must see, you know, which is part of my also th my thing about sequels and reboots and prequels, you know, is the reboot is I don't think that's entertainment. I think that's a hostage situation. <laughs> you know, you love this yeah. franchise. You love this book. Well, if you love it and you want to own it and you want to know everything about it again, last podcast. Right. Well, there's this new thing. We're going to need ten dollars. <laughs> We're gonna need ten dollars in ninety minutes of your life if you still want to belong. If you still want yeah, this thing to belong to you, that's not entertainment. Man. That is a hostage situation. <laughs> Mav, Mav has been my hostage for twenty-one years. <laughs> Sorry, but I think there's something comforting about that. I'm not gonna say that necessarily my tastes are always the best. It's you know, again, sort of, sort of the theme of this show. Except again, Manimal is brilliant. Every episode, but, I was trying to find a way to. Put it <laughs> that's in, gonna, I'm going to mention that every week. I think. Until, 
until they bring back mammals. That's the secret agenda of the show. <laughs> and then, because it's, 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 yeah, it's coming. You know, you, if you watch reboots on show, on TV, you know, Manimal's Day will come. And then I'll remember, oh God, this was actually not very good. But anyway, I don't, it's not so much that I, I think there are there are some things that are just sort of our com- our comfort food. I, I I'm trying to think there are there are some there's food that I really like. I really like sushi. I also sometimes I just want McDonald's. Yeah, it, 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 you know, and 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 I and I've had I've had sushi from <laughs> I have had a six hundred dollar plate of sushi in my life. Yeah, it's amazing. It was really good too. I've also had sushi that was five dollars from the grocery store. Yeah, no, I've never had gas station, but but I but I totally had like you know pre prepared just at the grocery store. Take it out, eat it, take it home, and eat it. Or um, I I used to go to Carnegie Mellon University. They sell sushi in the library. It's just there, and you know it's fine. Yeah, (laughs) and and there were days where I'm just like, what do I want? I think I want sushi for lunch and I'm going to go spend five bucks on sushi. And it's not the same as six hundred. they're not the same. So I don't know that I I ever enjoyed Miller Lite, but I've had it, you know, and if I just want a beer or to get drunk, you know, it'd get the job done. And and, and I'm I'm certainly like that. You know, my reading taste or or whatever there. I, yes, I read, I read the, the Hannah Koreshi book and whatever, but there are times I just want something to entertain me for a couple of hours. You know, I, I don't, something I don't want to think too hard about. And, you know, and I am aware of it. Was that really good in the, in the sense of literature? No. Did it entertain me on Sunday afternoon? Yep. Good enough. Yeah. There are a lot of comics I read for that reason. There are a lot of TV shows. That, uh, I mean, we, I don't want to rehash the Riverdale show, mm-hmm. but on the Riverdale show, Wayne and I both said, we both watched that because we thought it was going to be a train wreck where we could just turn off our brains and be like, this is going to be dumb and stupid for an hour. And then like, holy shit, why is this good? This is this shouldn't this isn't supposed to be good. So that was a surprise. There's a lot mm-hmm. of shows that I just watch because they're dumb and fun. And I think I, I think in, in the category of the stuff today, I don't think I've seen every American Pie movie. So, you know. If you're listening to this podcast, you might have seen four American Pie movies and you think that you've seen all of them. No, no, no. You're wrong. There are eight. Me and Eugene Levy are the only two people who've seen them all. And I'm not convinced he's watched them all. He's just in them. I own all eight, all eight American Pie movies. Two of them are kind of good. The other six are garbage. <laughs> well, again, though, I think it, it for me, that does loop back to mm-hmm. the geekdom, though. I mean, that you maybe want other experiences. A former mutual colleague of ours um, was doing a thing about, you know, finding stuff on YouTube and being mm-hmm. a critical user of YouTube. And he had students and he couldn't connect to them. who we were just like, I don't know, man, I just, you know, whatever suggests for me, I don't look <laughs> for stuff. And this person, you know, if you know this, you know, I'll tell you afterwards, you know, <laughs> utterly obsessive <laughs> utterly obsessive he used to leave campus with a you know tote bag full of books and i'm like what are you doing he's like oh that's what i need for tonight yeah, yeah. i'm like there's 20 books in that tote bag dude <laughs> you know so i think that's the thing i think again you can have as much american pie experience as you want mm-hmm. but i again i think for some people they just want more they get greedy yeah. they get more i mean i once professed in public that you two was my favorite band I was an idiot. Yeah, you know, no one's favorite band is U2. They're the most popular band that nobody likes. Right. 
them and the Foo Fighters. Um, my wife loves you too, and I, I'm, I'm almost tempted to call her in the room just to see if it's her favorite band or not. But, but I don't think she'd say she loves them. I don't think she'd say they're her favorite. But you know, I. But then again, when I said that, I hadn't heard other bands. Yeah. It was it was produced by this guy named Brian Eno. Who's that? As people say he's important, you know. And then you go and you buy My Green World and went oh. You know, I think there's some people who are just more hungry and more, you know, sort of in the pursuit. And I again, I think I'm, you know, at the extreme end of that spectrum. I will go to a film festival and watch 18 films in a weekend and have tailbone eye strain issues. Knowing full well, by the way, because I I should go to the, go to that one with you this year. Um, but I've been to film festivals. And I have friends who always say there's nothing good on Netflix. Netflix used to have all these great movies and now they have nothing. That's not true. Netflix doesn't have as many blockbusters now. Netflix has every indie movie ever. And it's great. Not every, but they have, not a, they, quite. But, they, but they have a lot of them. And I'm the guy who will sit at home and put on Netflix and say, hey, this has exactly a 50 percent rating from two critics, one who liked it and one who hated it. So <laughs> let me give it a shot and I'll just watch a bunch of those. And by the way, if I watch 20 of them. 18 of them are are garbage. <laughs> I'm not trying to pretend that, you know, I'm just all high culture and anything. But what's great about that experience is I'm I'm finding new things and every once in a while I will find Look for the Fits, by the way. That's another coming of age film that no one saw from 26 my favorite my favorite film from 2016, a 72 minute coming of age film set in a youth center in Cincinnati where for a 72 minute film I think the main character doesn't say a word until 12 minutes in. And that word's yeah. <laughs> See, cool. And it's so weird and so wonderful. It's like this American attempt at magic realism. <laughs> the one that I was thinking of, and I don't know if I call it, it's weird. I, I, I don't want to tell you anything about the plot other than people should watch it and then write us and let us know whether you think it's a coming of age story or not. Cause I've still never decided. I don't think it is, but it's a wonderful movie. It stars Alyssa Milano. It's called my girlfriend's boyfriend. It is great little indie film. I'm just looking at the, I'm looking at the Wikipedia page right now. It had a budget of $1.4 million. That's how much it costs to make, which is not very high. It has a rotten tomato score of 47%. I should look on the IMDb page and see how much money it made, but I would not be surprised if it did not make its $1.7 million back. It is, but it is, it, it is a movie that I love for quirky little things like that. And I, I just think that the idea of exploring things is, is sort of, you know, that's sort of what makes us us. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, I don't know that I really believe that say the millennial viewer doesn't do this. It's, you know, there is a certain magic to, I don't choose things. I just watch whatever YouTube recommends because you're watching everything YouTube recommends. And I can't do that. That's sort of amazing, you know, to be able to consume that and, and, and see whatever shows up, there's something to that. And there's a culture to that. So, but I think even willing to do that, willing to say, well, I'll see what this is like. Mm -hmm. I think that's a certain attitude that, and it's not just millennials, but I think a right. smaller percentage of the population is willing to give something a chance. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you remember the days of going to Blockbuster, I, you know, they just have one wall of one movie. <laughs> yeah. Well, but the idea too, that they're willing to 
to watch it. See, that's the thing, Matt, is that you will sit there and you will watch those all the way through to the bitter end. You're willing to sit there and do that. And I think a lot of people, if they're not entranced in the first 15 minutes, Mm -hmm. they just shut it off. Say, why bother? You know, find something else. And, and sometimes it, it, you miss things that way because not everything is great right away. And sometimes things are bad in a wonderful way. Yeah. Commando. Um, (laughs) That great coming of age movie commando. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But I mean, it's, it's, uh, I don't know. I'm not sure viewers are as willing these days to, to put in the time if they're not, if they're Mm -hmm. not movie lovers, because there's just simply so much, competing for their So attention. is the blockbuster, which again, if you, again, if you've listened to the show, you know that we love, we did a whole show essentially talking about infinity war without, while trying to not spoil it for an hour and 20 minutes, but, <laughs> but, uh, but <laughs> we love blockbusters, but is the blockbuster because the blockbuster has to be big. It has to be grandiose and you can do that with a hunger games. You can make a divergent grandiose, and you can you can sell a larger picture if you've got a special effects budget that Lady Bird needs to be small and intimate. Yeah. That story doesn't work unless it's really close to the vest. Need more robots. Well, yeah, but I mean, is that what kills the coming of age story? Because a, a coming of age story, you know, Lady Bird yeah. is at its heart. It's just the story of a girl and her mother. Yeah. And, and like the boyfriend doesn't even matter in that in that book in, in that book in that movie it, it's very much about this you know these small interpersonal relationships and is the need for spectacle <laughs> movie tickets are expensive yeah movie tickets nationwide average is like 12 bucks it, it, that's a lot of and, and very few people go by themselves so you're going with someone so you're at 25 dollars plus uh you know a super expensive soda and popcorn. So 40 or $50 evening, that's a lot to invest in. I mean, again, if you love this stuff, sure, but that's a lot to invest for somebody and two hours of my life. If I'm not guaranteed to love it, I'm guaranteed to love Avengers movies. I know I'm going to like it. I mean, and in fact, the people revolt when something comes around like a Star Wars Last Jedi where this is not what I wanted. I I didn't sign up for this. What what is this movie? People get upset because you're not feeding them this thing they asked for. And you know, people the complaint is always, well, no one asked for this movie and and a friend of a mutual friend of Wayne and mine said, "Well, you don't ask for any movie." Well, but you kind of do. You kind of do ask for movies. And you're paying enough that I understand being a little upset if you don't get exactly what you want. So maybe the idea that these are thinky movies is a little much for what you paid for them. Yeah. Well, I think it's also a question of the industry. Again, going back to my film festival experience, you know, how many international films are financed publicly Mm -hmm. a certain way through a grant. You know, I remember actually talking to Hian Rebeck, who is this great Czech uh, director who makes these films about communities. And he has, and I asked him, like, how do you get away with having 12 fully evolved protagonists in one film at the same time? And he basically (laughs) just said, "Eh, I get my money from the government and it doesn't matter what I do. And I'm like, wow, yeah. And you think, again, the blockbuster, you know, you think the Hollywood studio system, if you make 12 movies in a year, 
and three or four of them lose money, you could go bankrupt. Right. So you better, even in the making of these films, you better have a sure thing if you're going to put, you know, $400 million into a picture. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Solo is solo losing money is problematic. And it's it. And we talked about this a little bit last week, but but I think that poor Disney. Sure. I I don't I don't I'm not going to weep for them. Yes. You lost money on on a movie and you have like in theaters right now, you have Incredibles and Avengers and you just lost Black Panther in theaters. Mm -hmm. So, you know. Given the kind of money Disney's making, they're not going to suffer for having one film that uh, one film that failed. But I understand why you're worried if you sink four hundred million dollars into a picture and you only get two hundred million of it back. That's not good. And I and to an extent, you know, for like I don't know if the movie if, if my girlfriend's boyfriend, which I mm-hmm. I don't know if that mo- if that movie lost money or not, but it. They made it for one point seven million dollars. So if they got half of it back, meh, okay, we lost seven hundred grand. You know, and you know that sucks. I don't have seven hundred grand, but I understand why that's a smaller deal yeah. than losing two hundred million dollars. I get that. So where do you take that risk? I mean, it, I don't want to be the old fogey who says, "Oh, back in my day, kid, you know, we watched these movies and they were great and everything was better." And because we the liked same, it. well, and yeah, because that's the same thing people told uh, told us in the eighties. I, I, I mean. Why are you watching this Revenge of the Nerds or about music? You know, everybody's music is we've said on the show before. Everybody's music is what you were listening to when you were 14. Whatever you were listening to when you were 14, that's the best music ever. And everything else is pales in comparison. And I so I I understand that. And but I I don't want to do that. I'm not trying to say that you have to go watch these, you know, these films that I enjoy. I said, you know, now is now is good is not a movie that people should just go watch. It's depressing. Uh, but, but I think there's a place for it. And are you losing anything by not having it? I mean, the film was there, they made that movie and I went to go watch it, but are people losing it, losing something when they don't see it at 17 or 18? I think so. (laughs) I think so. But then, then again, you think about, you know, the music industry is so scattered and so fragmented now, Mm -hmm. you know, is it that the full postmodern death of the meta narrative is kind of happening? Where then, again, I do it with cinema. I just fall into my own little world. I've never seen a Jurassic Park movie. I barely remember the three Star Wars films, and I haven't watched any of the new ones. I just don't care, you know, and I just do what makes me happy. You know, is that what's going to happen? But then again, if a cheap film costs $10 million, that does become problematic. Right. Because where are you going to get $10 million from? It's hard to finance something like yeah. that. At the same time, though, these coming of age movies, like you're saying, they don't have they don't need the big budgets. They don't they don't have to spend as much money to make them. So you'd think they could make the money back uh, plausibly. However, then they don't spend as much on marketing and they don't put it in as many places. I mean, I can tell you I am if I wanted to see something like Lady Bird, I would have to drive a minimum of two hours. Because there is one movie theater in my town, and it has to, it gets stuff like Avengers, right? Right. If, you're, if you only have, if you're the only screen in town, and you're not playing Star Wars or Avengers, you you did the wrong thing. Yeah, absolutely. So that means if I want to see a small a smaller movie, I have to drive at least to Eugene, maybe even to Portland, which would be four hours. Now that was completely different when I was living in Southern California. 
I could go see those types mm-hmm. of movies much more easily. So that's also part of it too, is that, you know, these movies come out and although I'd love to see them, they aren't near me. So I have to wait until they're on something like Netflix. So there's an accessibility issue. So the question, I guess what I'm wondering is I see pushback sometimes when I teach something that is problematic. Wonder Boys by Michael Chabon, amazing book, which I think is super relevant to teach here because I live in Pittsburgh and it takes place in Pittsburgh. It was written in Pittsburgh. It is very much a, you know, however we say, and New York is a character. Pittsburgh is very much a character of the book Wonder Boys and of his other, a lot of his other books, uh, Mysteries of Pittsburgh, especially. And I've, I've taught it and I've, when I teach Wonder Boys, I usually teach the film along with the book, which I find is, it's very interesting to sort of compare them. And the students did not like Wonder Boys. <laughs> and I was surprised because I thought this this is obviously I didn't teach Mysteries of Pittsburgh because I figured I felt like that's harder to like. But Wonder Boys, I thought would be easy to like. And there's a lot of stuff in there that my students said, oh, oh, this is not OK. Everything you know, there. And there are a lot of things those people do that just aren't OK, which is what makes them interesting to me. So it's not that they so even. When they had the opportunity to, you know, they had to buy the book, but they, you know, that was for, you know, it was for college credit and you get out of the library and they, they can watch the movie with me for free. There's still a, this is, there, there was so much pushback from that, that it can't just be that not accessibility. They didn't want it, which, which is probably why the theater, you know, your one theater doesn't carry a movie like that. Well, you know, too, it's something Douglas Copeland said about, you know, the act of reading is you're letting someone hijack your consciousness for a few hours. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, where does that hijacking go? I mean, do you, you know, hotwire somebody's brain, joyride it and then smash it into a tree and run into the woods? I mean, you know, there certainly are books that I've assigned that did that to my students' brains and their consciousness. And it is this question of, again, people's maybe sense of autonomy, you know. Well, I don't want to go there. Then why were those movies so popular when we were growing up? Because they, because they Gen were X citizenism. That's yeah. the that's the thing that defines right. Every oh, cynical, cynical. I mean, you're right. You can't say the word Gen X and not have cynical at least in the previous two sentences or the next two sentences. Mm-hmm. It's just impossible. I think that's some of it. And I mean, maybe yeah, we had a different cinematic landscape. Maybe we had just different. It was a different zeitgeist, too. I think there was there was, I think, less anxiety. I mean, again, you think about 2001, you know, the Twin Towers falling, the idea that it could all go so terribly wrong on a normal day. I mean, is that also a kind of anxiety that's maybe too immediate that people live with now that maybe in the 80s it was sort of... I don't know. Maybe it was. A, I'm going to sound like an old man, but maybe it was a more humane and humanistic time. Maybe. So when did Mean Girls come out? Mean Girls was 2004. Yeah. So not that far after September 11th. So maybe that mm-hmm. maybe that is really that, you know, that sort of innocent culture kind of dying. Yeah. You know, uh, and Wayne said very much at the beginning of the show, being a being a millennial, you know, coming of age now is a is a different world because we have this illusion, I think, that the world is more dangerous than it was when in the 80s or the 70s or the 60s. It isn't necessarily, you know, there, you know, there, there were in the 50s, there were civil rights riots. What 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 is different is that we have 
we have an internet now, everything's very present to us. You know, if a kid gets kidnapped on the other side of the country, you know immediately. If there's a school shooting, you know immediately. I, I, I remember there being gang violence stories in the paper all the time when I was in high school in the 90s. There, the 80s, actually, 80s and 90s when I was in high school. And, but it wasn't as immediately in your face, everybody talking about thoughts and prayers on, on the internet all the time. So the real world problems are maybe more present. They're for, in our pockets. Yeah. Well, yeah. They, yeah. And I think they're more, it, it's really easy to be consumed with your life when you're a teenager. And it's really easy to be consumed with your life when you're a Gen X or even if you're 40 or 50. I, I think that it's, less easy to be consumed with your life as a teenager when you're aware that there was a Parkland shooting. Yeah. You know, like they're like the, Oh, I'm arguing with my mom problem almost feels a little trivial. And I think that for the two movies that, you know, we started the show off talking about like lady bird is very much, it's set in 2001 and 2002, very much against the backdrop of, Hey, the world's changing, you know, the terrorism, blah, blah, blah. But, I'm still dealing with teenage girl problems. Edge of 17 takes place in 2016. She's 17 years old. The, the premise of Edge of 17 is, um, so you know, it's there's a 17-year-old girl and her mom is, she's got a single parent. The mom's away. So one day her, she's got her best friend over, um, uh, over for a sleepover and her brother has his three best friends over for like a, a party. So they're all partying and drinking and they get drunk. Um, the main character passes out when she wakes up, she finds her, um, her best friend in bed with her brother, having just had sex and hooked up. And now her best friend is dating her brother. And this is the end of the world. Mm-hmm. That's the premise of the movie. The premise of the movie is my world is ended because my brother is sleeping with my best friend. It is the smallest, stupidest problem in the world. And Nadine, the main character, when you think about it comes off as, yeah, like she's basically trying to tell them, no, you guys have to not see each other because it's wrong for you to date, which is, you know, actually makes her seem like a bitch. She becomes unlikable because she's having what's honestly a, a really human emotion. She feels like she's losing her brother. She feels like she's losing her friend because where does she fit in? But maybe and and the way the movie presents her is it very much gives you particularly with them um, with some with Woody Harrelson's in the character as, as sort of an older mentor character. He's a teacher and he very often calls her on her bullshit and says, this is stupid. This is stupid. So it sort of presents her as an unlikable character and says, Hey, being, being self-obsessed is sort of a problem and maybe think about other people for change. So it presents a different view of the world. It, it tells you that she's wrong in a way that on the road doesn't on the, in the way that any of these older, older stories don't do that. Well, then isn't that a problem too? If we're talking about interpersonal drama, doesn't reality TV just do that better and more efficiently? <laughs> I mean, isn't that also part of, you know, it's like the Clement Greenberg thing, you know, mm-hmm. modern art is just pigment on a surface. And once you no longer have to be representational, you can follow. It's this kind of capitalist idea. You can follow every form into its own perfection. So you get from, you know, bowl of fruit on a table to abstract expressionism because, well, let's see what we can do with pigment on a surface. Well, maybe the thing that we do or that satisfies most people when it comes to interpersonal relationship is celebrity reality on VH1 or something, you know, is that 
Is that part of the formula then too? You kind of you you were talking about how if you compare things like the Wonder Years or nine hundred two one zero to to the current CW shows, oh, it makes the Gen, X- Gen Xers look self obsessed. But I'm not really sure because why you th- the, be, think. I that. don't think they're. I don't think that the people on. I mean, 100, Arrow, Pretty Little Liars, uh, all of those shows. I don't think they're necessarily less self-involved. I think they have other problems going on, which makes them seem less less self-involved. The only problem that Kevin Arnold ever deals with on Wonder Years are how do I get Winnie Cooper to date me? These are the problems uh, of a 15, 16, or I think it starts when he's 13 and ends when he's 18. But the these are the problems that he deals with. The, the deep problems that he's having are things like his... Um, his, Paul loses his, his virginity before any of the other kids do, and that creates a strain on their friendship. It's things like that. And in fact, the bigger issues, what's, what, what, what was amazing about that show is it's set up against the backdrop of the Vietnam War. Winnie's brother dies on the first episode. He dies in Vietnam, which is deep and meaningful, and it is one of the rare times that the world outside of their high school crosses over and directly affects them and it changes everything. Everything else is sort of a subtle backdrop. Like you see his sister is a hippie and you see that she's doing protests and stuff, but it's not directly present for him. He is very much living in his world and you have to sort of watch the rest of the world around him. Whereas if you look at uh, at the, the 100, the 100 is a show about them being teenagers and having to deal with the apocalypse around them. Riverdale is a show about them being teenagers, but having to directly deal with this murderer that's that's like they they have other problems that they have to deal with that aren't just internalized. Okay, but I guess I'm wondering if rather than it saying something necessarily bad about Gen X that we were, quote, self-obsessed. Okay, I was going to say, because it seems to me like that really that sort of says that, the you know, the audience now can't can't handle the introspection the same way that they're not thinking that they always want there to be something else that they want there to be other cause. They want something else going on so that they're not dealing with their own emotions the same way. Well, and, and, and we're, you know, we're, we're post 9-11 that they're not wrong. Yeah. So, so you know, how much does that play a part in, as as well? Like they haven't been able to be self obsessed because the world around them, so much is happening that has been frightening and taking their attention and taking their emotions and causing stress and and all of that. Nine eleven was seventeen years ago, which yeah. means if you were born that year, if you've never lived in a world without nine eleven having been a thing, yeah. then you are of the age to watch these shows now. Yeah, I just think that. I mean, I don't think it's necessarily bad for, you know, Gen X or bad for the millennials or anything like that. I think it's just, you know, because you, you ask sort of, you know, who's who are these movies for and talking about how sort of they're changing. And I think that's just you have to look at, you know, the I mean, that's what we keep talking about. The audience is is different. They have different things that they're concerned about. Well, and two, again, thinking about this efficiency thing. You know, two things this has me think about. Yeah. One is, again, does social media do it better? Maybe. Is the where people construct those narratives, whether they're visual narratives, whether they're status update narratives, is that where people are sort of maybe exploring the introspective experience? That's one thing. And the other, 
you know, thing that I think got lost. It reminds me of, I don't know, has anybody else here seen the British life on Mars? Nope. No, everyone should I, watch. It, 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 it's on my list. I, I <laughs> haven't yet, but I really want to. It's wonderful. And there was a episode of that series that I think I watched that winter break, 2015, 2016. And there's an episode that still haunts me where, you know, the premise of the show is this guy's a cop in Manchester, England in the 21st century. And he gets hit by a car and he wakes up in 1973. And the whole series, he doesn't know if it's a dream, if he died or or did he really time travel? Right. He has no idea. He's trying to figure that out. And he's also trying to be a cop in this very different world. And so he has this 21st century sensibility in the 1970s. You know, he's the one at the local pub who said, well, you should put a TV in here so we can watch the football match. And the pub owner's like, who would watch TV in a bar? You know, like there's that kind of <laughs> irony. But there's this one episode where he's walking and he turns the street and he realizes this is where I lived in 1973 when I was four years old mm -hmm. and he knocks on the door and meets his mother. And he realizes then that his mother and father were involved in all of these really messed up things that he had no sense of when he was four years old. And I think it, for me captures too, you think, you know, like with the wonder years, you know, things happen, things are happening in the world. And I think when you're young, is it also, you don't have the life experience and maybe you don't have the tools to fully process them. Mm -hmm. And how does that play into this dynamic where, yeah, if you, you know, I did have a student two years mm -hmm. ago who said, you know, literally his first memory was nine 11. Hmm. I asked that as an icebreaker question. He grew up in New York city and he said, literally nine yeah. 11 is the first thing I remember. Because it's, it's that big a thing. And if you're in New York City, then it's... Yeah. yeah. And it, how it do you wrap yourself, your head around that when you're three or four years old? Mm -hmm. You know, I think that's part of it, too. I mean, our students, I know for me, are, are struggling to articulate the world mm -hmm. as it is, as it has been presented to them, which isn't that the problem of young people since, you know, at least the dawn of time or maybe the dawn of eternity. Since, since there have been young, yeah, since there have been young, you've been young people. Yeah. <laughs> And I guess, you know, what tools do you have? I guess that's the other like part about if we're losing something. Are we losing a tool for young people to sort of make sense of their own life experience, which mm -hmm. isn't that what narrative, at least one of the function, major functions of narrative. Well, or think that maybe we're not. I think you might have hit it exactly. We're not losing a tool. We've or we're, we're losing a tool, but replacing it with someone else, something else. Yes, I love these movies because when I was 14, when I was in my formative years, it was really big to make movies like this. And I, you know, we talked about, I also reached out and I discovered things like On the Road, Portrait of the Artist as a Young Man, Pride and Prejudice. I, I discovered books that also dealt with these same themes. And maybe now, just like my movies and comic books replaced <laughs> the novels, maybe now social media and podcasts are, yeah. are replacing, are, are, are replacing yeah. that sort of thing. I mean, that's what we're doing here. We're, we're sitting here and trying to work out these issues <laughs> live on, well, and, you know, on you the internet. You mentioned Vision. I mean, I, you've heard me talk about <laughs> Love and Rockets, that's and that's what that subtle. book has been about for the last 40 years. You know, it, it's yeah, 35. Uh, yeah. The, I was going to say 30, years. really 40 uh, years yeah, old. Yeah, I mean, and it's, it's you know, it, it okay. was coming <laughs> age of these characters wow. when they were late teens yeah. and now they're in their 50s and, and they're still learning things. We, we've seen this process with them. You, another book I've mentioned several times on this is one of my current favorites is Giant Days. And it's, you know, college students doing college student things. And that's kind of the entire book. That is the plot. The college students doing, yeah. Uh, but I, I, it 
it's it just it's a book that makes me happy. It just it, it's fun and funny, and it strikes me as very real. I have known or been everybody in that book. I think us old people have hashed this out, but I really want we we, we might have to do a follow up show. You know, invite Sophie and Jamie back on and just do the exact same show again, and just have all young people telling us what it, you know how we're wrong. Get off my podcast. So, <laughs> So yeah, we've gone way over time, but I actually enjoyed this conversation a lot. Nicole, thanks for coming back again. Thanks, Nicole. Sure. I'm going to be a token check. And I want to thank Matt. Thanks for coming on for the first time. Come back anytime. Matt, you have a podcast of your own. Yes, it's called We're All Gonna Die and Other Fun Facts. Uh, It'll be relaunching soon and you can find it on gonnadiepodcast.com and we'll be on all of those, you know, Stitcher, TuneIn. Not iTunes for some reason, because Apple's evil. I don't know. But uh, diepodcast.com is where you can definitely find the podcast. So we will also not be being sponsored by Apple. Every potential sponsor we, we could possibly have, we have lost through Matt. Sorry. <laughs> Thanks for coming on. We will link to that in the show notes. Where can people find you guys on Twitter or anything like that? Uh, M-U-S-S-I-A 77. Okay. And, and die podcast on Twitter too. Okay. Nicole? Oh, I'm on Twitter, but I'm not very entertaining. It's just, uh, just N Prime at Twitter. You can follow the show at Vox Popcast on Twitter. You can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Vox Popcast. The blog, www.voxpopcast.com. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Tuned In. You know, yeah. And we are on iTunes, unlike, unlike some people. Yeah. So <laughs> go there. So, <laughs> so, I'm an RSS feed purgatory. What can I say? <laughs> so, so Mav, is it time for a Miller Lite? Is that what you're saying? Oh, <laughs> no, another, another refresh. Another Yingling. If any of the Yingling people want to sponsor because, the show, that would be great. Because, because after all, it's hot out. <laughs> oh, that'd be great. Follow you can follow me at Chris Maverick or on my blog at chrismaverick.com. Wayne at Wayne underscore. Wise at on Twitter. I actually followed the the Vox Popcast Twitter today. Uh, finally, uh, yeah, yeah. Right, that you follow yeah, the I, show I, that you're on. I just never do Twitter. Uh, Wayne wisecom for for my blog. Um, next Wednesday night, I'll, I'll be reading at the the Bridge Series. Matt, I know you've participated in that a few times. Uh, so. Wonderful. Everybody should go it go to it. Though I won't be there. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, if you're in Pittsburgh, that will be linked to in the blog below as as well. Uh, I want to thank Maximilian at Thoughtform Music for the theme song that I will not say is too long this week. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's playing right now. I want to thank everybody for listening on this show that we've gone way over. Hopefully you still are. And thanks, everybody. Definitely you guys come back again. And everybody else who's listening, come back. And we will see you next week. Bye. Bye. Except the fact that we had to sacrifice a whole Saturday in detention for whatever it was we did wrong. But we think you're crazy to make us write an essay telling you who we think we are. And you see us as you want to see us. In the simplest terms, with the most convenient definitions. But what we found out 
is that each one of us is a brain and an athlete and a basket case a princess and a criminal does that answer your question sincerely yours the breakfast club don't don't